0: Welcome to Coastal Front. Join us each week as we sit down with the movers and shakers of Vancouver to discuss stories of business, politics, accomplishment, and failure. Our aim is to keep you dialed into what matters most in our city. Now, here's your host, Andrew Johns.
1: Jason Sarai, thanks for coming here today. Glad to have you on the show.
2: No, thank you so much for the invitation.
1: So, uh, for those folks who aren't uh, maybe necessarily uh, uh, well polished on their on their looks, by the end of this show, you should be understanding exactly how you need to make yourself presentable uh, in almost any scenario. Jason Sarai is uh, a master of style, and uh, we've known. I've known my wife and I have known you for quite a while now, and and you've had a phenomenal growth in your career and your business. And I'm sure you've gone through lots of trials and tribulations. So we're going to talk a little bit about that and uh, talk about. Men's style and maybe women, maybe women's style too. But yes. I, I definitely know we're going to focus a lot on men's style. I made sure to wear my, my try to wear my best uh, suit today for you. No, you look great. <laughs> um, so maybe let's start off by like, um, when did you get into this industry? Like, what what kind of
2: got you into the fashion and lifestyle industry? Well, I I've always been into style and fashion from an early age. Um, and when I was in high school, actually. One of my best friends and I wanted to start a business, but it was always an idea and it was always a passion, but there was no execution on that. And when I came out of university, one of my good friends and now clients, actually, we were talking about a jean business. And once again, it was um, not along the lines of what I wanted to go to into fashion. And I could see the, the pitfalls of inventory and then real estate, the retail space. I was like, okay, this is a different animal. As a passion project, I, I see like a lot of challenges that isn't aligned with what I want to do. Um, so I always kept deferring it, but I knew that I wanted to do something. Um, and I was in finance. I was at RBC Dominion Securities. Uh, I joined in 2008. And that was kind of my first real uh, corporate lifestyle where I was required to wear suits. Um, and that was when I started to daily have to step up my style game and then also diversified my kind of style range so that when I was whether I was golfing or working out or social going to work I had to be a little bit of chameleon because I was a little bit younger as a broker yeah and then I'm dealing with clientele from whether they're in their 20s to their 70s sure um, so I couldn't dress to my age at that time and even though I wanted to wear certain things I had to be mindful that you're always working Uh, so I kind of dressed a little bit more mature at that point and I started to really push my suit game at that time, but being mindful that I was needed to be not pushing the boundaries too much in this corporate space. Yeah, sure. Um, and it was, as I was doing this, uh, new corporate career, I, I was looking for a creative outlet and I started to do these lifestyle soirees and events. Um, so I was always trying to fill that void and that gap that I was missing and, I definitely didn't just find that affinity and passion towards finance, but I loved the perks and the relationship and building that trust within the clientele. And as I was doing this, the odd time, people were just asking for style advice, um, and I would help both men and women, friends, cousins. um, And it was really the beginning of where social media started to really take off. Instagram was just getting started in like that 2010, 2011 time. And it was my brother who's an optometrist in Chicago. And whenever he would travel back to Vancouver, he would bring very little. He would bring his work stuff, his laptop, and then he would bring like boxers and socks and just one outfit. And I was like, you're here for a couple of weeks. Um, like, where's the rest of your stuff? he's like, well, we're basically the same size. So he would wear like my wardrobe and he would, after the week or two, he would be like, you know what, like I would pay you To take me shopping and get me stuff for Chicago, and at that point I'm in finance. I'm like, no, I don't need your money. Like, you're my brother. You're an optometrist. You're doing really well. Um, But he he was like, I just don't have the time or the interest. Um, And he's like, you know, I have a young family. We're building out our practices. Um, If I had time, I would do it. Um, So it was it was just an idea that was planted then, but it was nothing that I could really act on because I was trying to build out my career in finance. Um, and it was I don't know how many months after but it was in 2011 for sure he sent me a clip on WhatsApp and it was uh, a link to a movie and I, I watched it and it was with Steve Carroll and uh, Julianne Moore and it showed this movie what movie was it? It was Crazy Stupid Love Okay. and at that time this clip only showed this couple getting a divorce this argument so I'm watching this like I was single at the time I was like what is he talking about yeah. Be this?" he's like he should be this guy from this movie and I was like, did, I didn't respond. So within that week, um, my very first style consulting client, he posted on Facebook. So he was a well-to-do client that I used to train at Innovative Fitness. And he always seemed to be on, on track of doing some of the cooler things, especially in the tech space, even though he was in the custom brokerage space. Okay. Um, and he posted, he's like, I want Ryan Gosling's entire wardrobe from this movie. So then I was like, okay, I watched the movie, and it had Steve Carroll in it. And I was like, oh, this is what my brother was referring to. Okay. And within minutes of this post, and I'm watching it, uh, a, a mutual friend's wife said, Jason Sarai can point you in the right direction. So within one week, three different people in my life were giving tied you- this movie and me towards this somehow. Yeah. So I watched the movie, and then when I watched it, I was like, "Okay, there's a gap in the market." And then the movie Hitch had come out a few years before. Yeah. And I was like, "Okay, if I can just like as a passion project, this would be fun." Yeah. And I remember th-
1: th- this is the image of the movie. That's here? right. Yes. Is so, this is this the scene?
2: Uh, that's one, one, of one of the them? scenes when he's taking uh, Steve Carroll uh, shopping. So it, it was it was a very comical scene, and the scene that he posted was where. Steve Carroll has a pair of new balances and he asks, he's like, what are you? He's like, do you own Apple? And he's like, no. He's like, are you like, did you create the iPhone? He's like, no. He's like, well, if you're not Steve Jobs, why are you wearing these? And he like <laughs> threw them off the balcony of the mall and he took him shopping. And then he had like a Velcro wallet. It was just a good, fun comedy scene. But it was all about like stepping up your game and wearing things that best present yourself and, and help you make you feel strong and confident. Um, now, if I was to say when I watched that movie that I would be doing this full-time now, I would have been like, no. No way. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was kind of the genesis of it, but it was like November, December of 2011, yet I didn't launch my company, um, the consulting side, until September or early, late summer, early fall of 2012 because being in the wealth management space, you can't have two consulting business yeah. overlapping. Yeah, And here I am investing people for their financial futures and then yeah. at the same time i'm like well spend a lot of money on clothes yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah it was a little contradicting <laughs> yeah uh so that, you got the money to afford this yeah uh, outfit. So, <laughs> but it was but a lot of uh the clientele that i have can't, comes from the industry that i right. once you know was catering to yeah. and Without that foundation, uh, the underlying principles were very similar to the business that I run today. Yeah. So I think so let, if I didn't do that, yeah.
1: Let, let's talk about that for a minute. Yes. So you're, you're let's, and we'll pull up the website too. The, so your company is called? Style by Sarai. Style by Sarai. Styles by Sarai. And, uh, and what is it you do? Like if somebody was in an elevator and you
2: had kind of 30 seconds, what would you describe you do? Uh I think now I would say it's a lifestyle consulting business. And one of the arms is a bespoke arm. So we do uh, custom garments for both men and women, ranging from suits, sport coats, tuxedos, outerwear, um, to dress shirts. And then the other element is that style is only one component of lifestyle. And that silo is is, only one piece of it. So there's accessories like watches, cars, there's travel, there's food, the way you, uh, your decorum, how you treat people, there's fitness, there's all these elements of lifestyle. And now we're being a little bit more purveyors of lifestyle. Okay. Wow. Yes. That's really interesting.
1: Yeah. You mentioned earlier Instagram and how you just got, uh, you'd got up and running on that in around sound like 2011 or so. Yes. Um, we've got your Instagram account here. You've, you've got uh, nearly 15,000 followers on Instagram. That's that's a pretty good number.
2: Yes, uh, like I'm happy with it. And I I think it's a a community and a network that is is engaged and they're real followers. And uh, I let go a long time ago of caring about likes and engagement. Um, I I know my numbers and traction would be a lot better if I was to comment and reply to everyone. Um, I just never like have justified like the uh, allotment of time to be able to respond and in, to, in order to outsource that to someone to respond on behalf of me, I just feel that that's not authentic. Yeah. Um, so I've always been like, when I can respond, I do have done that. I think my following can grow. And if I was to put a lot of financial resources towards it, but I've been content and really happy with where I'm at. But you get surprised that you think, you know, and there's some of my friends that have hundreds of thousands of followers, they're doing amazingly well in their respective realms. Um, but when you see people in the community, whether it's local or when I'm traveling, the amount of p- stuff that people know yet they've never commented or liked anything on social media, right? And, and they do know, yeah, because um, they're following you. And they are, and and, and it's they're like, taking
1: they're taking it in, and they, yeah.
2: And whether it's their significant other, their friend, their cousin, or on one of the platforms, you just don't know what. And there's a lot of ghost followers, sure. Um, and and I know there's a lot of people that don't want to show that they're engaging by liking, and commenting. But then when I talk to them, they have a good idea of what's going on yeah. Uh, and they have a pulse of, they know that this is the reality of the world and they may not participate, but if they're not on it in any capacity, there's a lot of people that just take over their, you know, uh, significant others accounts and they're like, they go through (laughs) and then they're like, they got their fix. So I, I dropped off my kids at school this morning Yes,
1: and there's a dad whose daughter goes to school with one of my two daughters. And, uh, and he's a pretty prominent individual in Vancouver here and he's walking by me and he's like, you're right. We do need a new government. <laughs> and I, I've never talked to him about politics before. And I That's realized, awesome. I realized he must be following me on Twitter. Oh, totally. You know? So it was really kind of, uh, this speaks to what you just described. Let's, uh, here's what I'd like to do. Let's talk about your bespoke line. Yes. Uh, so tell me about
2: that. Well, it started in 2014 and, um, When the opportunity came up, I was only doing consulting. So I was uh, strictly working for men predominantly on the consulting side. And then I started to do some uh, brand ambassadorships uh, with like Lululemon, Ted Baker, um, and working with open road with some car brands uh, under their fleets. And in 2014, one of uh, this company called Barakasen Brand presented an opportunity to create my own suit line. Um, and it was under Copley, which is a made-to-measure and ready-to-wear line in Canada. And I got to create a, a ready-to-wear and made-to-measure line. Um, I didn't know exactly what went into creating a suit line, but I pulled in all nighter before my meeting to understand the intricacies of the construction and deconstruction of a suit. And it was far simpler than that when I went into the meeting. So Christine has provided an amazing opportunity. She fronted the capitol. I thought I was only going to get one to two lines, and she actually gave me 13, collect like 13 designs within the first collection.
1: And so who is this? And
2: this was a, a store called Baracus & Brand in okay. 2014. Okay. So in that time, I created 13. In the summer of 2014, someone- and did you
1: design these yourself? Yeah,
2: I designed. I got to select the fabrics, the linings, yeah. the elbow patches, the collars, but there was limitations within ready-to-wear and made-to-measure.
1: Sure a lot of people i think just just for one second jason a lot of people probably don't realize unless you've bought a made-to-measure or a custom suit yes like there's a lot involved in 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 a in in having a suit like that
2: totally and there's a a lot of people now um because it's such a, a hot commodity within the fashion space it's now getting a little bit butchered even more so people don't know the difference so to explain that, if you don't mind. It's yeah, like, let's hear it. Like there's there's ready-to-wear, that's like the standard the 36 rack? to 50 off the rack. Off the rack, okay. And then sure. there's made-to-measure. Yes. Then there's semi-bespoke, and then there's full-bespoke. Okay. A lot of people use the word full-bespoke or bespoke, and there's very few people in the world that do full-bespoke now. Do you? Um, no. So okay. I, what I do is semi bespoke. We have the ability to do full bespoke. Yeah. The likelihood of people going down that route from both a time and a cost standpoint. Yeah. But when by the time they get explained that, yeah. and then what they would appreciate, I usually direct them. It's like if you really want this experience, it's best to go to Rome or Milan or Salvaro. And okay. then when they hear the cost that's associated with full bespoke, then they're like, "You have to like shear your own sheep to get your in." Well, no, it's like, you know what? It's like it's you're looking at eight to ten thousand dollars, but you're looking between on average, like on the fast side, you're looking three to four months. But no one's doing that because you have to see the actual master tailor, and it's a basted suit on a full bespoke where they're continuing to recraft the suit, and like most people are doing it between six to nine months, but it's more the experience and the art of it. It's more about like that journey and it's like a piece that you're going to have for very long. Have you ever ever had a bespoke suit of your own? Well, I'm going through one right now and I've had some made in different countries and I'm in the industry and I've been doing this for six plus years and I've had my own line for four plus years. I'll be hard pressed to find many people that can truly one would gravitate to that versus a semi-bespoke. Yeah, So we kind of found that niche that... And that's primarily what you do, semi-bespoke. Yes. Okay, and, and now that's like largely what we do. And the difference between made-to-measure and semi-bespoke is in made-to-measure is you only have so many uh, options in customization and they don't really account for slope of shoulders and... Uh, different shapes of the body so what you're really doing is more so you're letting in letting out or taking in according to a previous set pattern so for yourself if there's six mannequins and you fit into the third mannequin that's what they're going to be adjusting based on the length the arms the chest yeah but it's only you can only customize it so far yeah So what we're doing is semi-bespoke is we're selecting fabrics, the linings. We're able to customize with no degree of um, we can create as much as you're wanting unless it's a suit that no one's ever seen. Then we have to create a complete new pattern. I see. But when we select the fabric, we're cutting that fabric strictly based on your measurements so that there is an outlay that should you need to let it out in the future, we can. Because with made-to-measure, they're intending that you're not doing too much changes in the future. Right. So they're trying to minimize the cost on putting more fabric in it. Yeah. Most made-to-measure is that it's a fused canvas, so there's glue on the inside. So that's what lowers the price point. Whereas what we're doing on Semi Bespoke is we're doing a, a half or full canvas. Um, so there is components of hand, there is components of machine, and... Um, the the biggest thing is its fit so when you're taking into account slope of shoulders and people that have different shapes sizes different chest to stomach ratios you can't just do that by you know 10 to 12 measurements no or 15 measurements like we're doing north of 30 measurements really and both Humam and I come from science background so it's funny now that uh he comes from a clinical surgical res- like uh, research side I come from a kinesiology background, so like I studied the art of how the body moves. Right. So now I'm bringing that into like postural tendencies and gait, and how do we have to craft the suit differently, which I never thought I would have to do. So it's funny now that I'm a designer and I got a line, I'm actually bringing back the sciences and functionality, because yeah. like things can look great. But if you don't feel good in it when you're sitting down or when you're walking, it's like and not fitting correctly it's like yeah is it worth it then
1: yeah so that's a really good point you know years ago i talked to you about that i said i'm i live a pretty act i have two i have two clothing lines myself if you look in my closet which i think you have have, you've seen it it hasn't changed since like five years ago yes i literally have a row of pretty nice suits and shirts and then I have two pairs of jeans and a whole bunch of polo shirts, and I don't have anything in <laughs> that between. Is exactly, specifically Lacoste. That's <laughs> La, it, La <laughs> Lacoste shirts. And the only reason I didn't wear it for today's show is because I knew I was having <laughs> you come. In. I want to make sure I look sharp. No, um, but you're right about about the like I I you know admittedly I've the latest suits uh, and, and I, I've like I said uh, earlier I got to get a get a suit from you now. I mean it's been too long and I've been buying these these Prada off the rack or what did you call it? A, yes. It's a, a, ready to wear ready or to wear. off the rack.
2: Both are the same. Yes. And,
1: and, and, you know, they used to fit me really well when I was a little slimmer guy, but you know, I'm 44, turned 45, got three kids. I'm making all excuses to, you know, I just, I don't, I don't, my body shape's different. Yes. And, but I also find that these suits are kind of made for like skinnier guys and my seats keeps the seat in my pants and my pants mm-hmm. keep ripping. And it's the problem is like for me to go from a 54 to a 56, the jacket like swims in me yeah the waistline is huge like the waistline even on a 54 that i'm wearing right now is already big i have to get that taken in but the seat is so tight i have to get them to take it out as much as they can and they still can't get it out enough because I, I guess i got that classic like hockey player like you know big bum and legs and then kind of like slimmer a little bit slimmer waist totally so, and so I'm, it, I'm assuming be a, a semi-bespoke suit like you're talking about would address that kind of thing
2: Yes. Yeah, um Outside of like the aesthetic and the quality of fabric, if the fit's not there, even if you have the best of design and quality it it it's gonna break, yeah, so but you can have the worst fabric, and if it's fit correctly, it can last a very long time. so if you're letting out a fabric at the end of the day, it's holding on based on threads, so you're weakening it every time you're doing a surgery. So it's like when you're doing a massive alteration, you're exposing it to, you know, potential risk. Sure. So from the outset, in order to accommodate for an athletic seat, which so many people amongst our clientele are athletes, whether they're former or current. um, And then with the corporate lifestyle, they are. The reality is there's like a within our clientele, we're looking at a 10 to 15 pound swing. And Uh, and it's like, that's just a reality. I'm glad to hear that because it's.
1: I keep thinking there's something wrong. Like, what's wrong no, with me? I but keep... it's
2: like, it's, you look at fall to April, it's a totally different lifestyle environment. And then when it comes to spring to summer, it's like now, like socially things change, travel plans change. Yeah. So it's just the reality that it's less than, I in my clientele, it's probably less than 10% stay with less than five pounds. Really? Most people yeah. are a 10 pound. And I think people are, feel better when they do hear that. But that's why we wanna <laughs> we want our suits to last north of five years. Like yeah. our top coats should be easily 10, 20 years because they can be passed down. But for right. suits it's like what's a top coat? A top coat's like, uh, like a, not like, an like, overcoat like, that wears over. It's oh. like it's almost a hybrid. It's like a longer coat, it's a little heavier. Okay. But it's a nice way as and in between, now that we have more flexibility of what to wear, we're seeing our clients be able to wear casual shoes or dress shoes and top coats can serve as a jacket that's not a suit jacket. Yeah. Hugs the body. Um, but then it, it, it's it's a nice change up within the, the wardrobe. But yeah. we're at the end of the day, for our lines, we want our clients to get the most durability and uh, um, wear out of them before they say, hey, you know what, it's time to move on to another suit. Yeah, and fit comes first, like uh, without a doubt. And that's I look at when we make a suit, uh, the waist and seat are are where we need tapering. Everything else is easy, right? Optically to achieve a taper look is so simple. But if you don't have the waist and seat in place, it's very tough. Yeah, and the same thing with shoulders and chest. Like you can only if you don't get that right when you make it tapering yeah, ner- a sleeve and cinching the waist is simple. Yeah. But when you're having to recreate shoulders and chest it was just made wrong.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: That's just the reality.
1: Well, that's really interesting.
2: Let's spend a little bit of
1: time talking about the buying experience for men. I know there's various levels of, of types of suits men can get. There's probably lots of common mistakes you can maybe give some people a little bit of free advice on on, you know, mistakes they should or things they should think about when they're buying a suit. I know myself, there's nothing that really feels better than putting on a nice new clean crispy suit. I remember when I got out of university and started working in the financial markets, I had like n- no money at all. So, uh, shout out to tip top tailors. I don't even know yes. if they're still around anymore, but uh, no, they are Are they? Yeah. Yep. So I was, uh, I was a tip top tailor customer. I can't even say I had a suit. I literally had a pair of slacks, yes. two dress shirts and two ties. And I do my laundry every second day. Cause amazing. <laughs> and then I went to Moore's and then I went to Harry Rosen yes. and then I went to, um, then I went to like the made-to-measure at Harry Rose. And then I went to these, like, kind of, there's a local tailor that I used for years. It was great, Um, Mike Brasha, uh, and got some suits from him. And then I, you know, up until the last, in the last few years, I mentioned to you, I've been wearing these Prada suits. Yes. And um, so maybe, can you talk a little bit about, like, you know, where, you know, what categories of suits are? probably I probably kind of touched on them right there. And, you know, what are the price ranges? And then after that, let's talk about, you know, what should men be thinking about when they're going to buy a suit? Because it's a pretty big investment for a lot of guys, right? Especially, totally. And maybe we can talk about the, the college kid who's getting this into you know out of university and into the business world. And then you also mentioned about your, your wife's line, your your women's line. So maybe we yes. can talk about that as well.
2: Yes, I know. Um, so to speak about the category suits, once again, you have the off-the-rack ready-to-wear. Um, and that can range from hundreds of dollars to thousands. Um, and when we look at some of the more known brands, whether it be um, Versace, Armani, uh, uh, Canalis, you're looking at the high thousands to high two thousands, maybe the low three thousands. And a lot of them are machine made, dominantly machine made. Um, a lot of them have, whether it's a canvas or a fused, um, but... You'll be hard-pressed to find too many that are predominantly machine-made more than $3,000. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you'll find those kind of suits also, the reality we live in this is that they go massively on sale at some point. Mm. So, the market is now smarter that those people that have the means to buy those kind of suits between two to 3000 it's a very small percentage of people in the working population that are going to spend that kind of money they know how to make that money and they don't want to waste it. And the market is now educated to wait until sales happen. Really? So if they can buy it 30, 40, 50%, it kind of, it's not in the best interest of a lot of clients because they're not as keen to wear something that's currently trending in the market. And if it's a suit, is it really that different? Maybe sport coats. So we're seeing a lot of those kind of, High thousands to two thousand price points. Clients now are like, unless I'm in a rush and I need to buy it, we'll wait or we'll wait until it hits the aftermarket and some of the retail shops or outlets to buy those kind of suits. Gotcha. The north of three thousand, there's only a few players that are in there and you're looking at whether it's Xenia, um, Keton, uh um what is another Brioni is another one and you're getting suits that are can be north of 5000 to like $9000 and now there's a heavy hand component very quality craftsmanship but a lot of these brands are under corporate umbrellas whether it's like LVMH and you're seeing these brands where they're like justifying it because the craftsmanship's there the quality the story and the marketability so they're commercializing these products that justify it and There's a very, very small percentage of that clientele that exists. But those brands tend to have a huge component that's made by hand. Okay. So they're a little bit softer. They're a little bit higher end on the fabrics. So for a lot of those clients, they're wearing fabrics that are like north of super 150s, super 160s. What is that? And... There's a little bit of marketing went with going within these super 100s what, to what 200s. Mean, and it's what, the simplest way. It's basically the thread count per square inch. So the it's the type like, of fabric. It's the type of fabric, but it's like the more time it's woven within that square inch, oh. that's what's saying it's from super 100 to 200. So it's, you're taking a, Uh, a piece of wool and you're weaving it that many times. So the higher the number, the higher the quality or something? Not so much the quality. It just becomes a finer fabric. So it's softer and the drape. So the durability of it is far less than wearing a super 100 if you're looking at a super 180. Yeah. So when you're wearing a super 180, then it feels like you're, it's like a second skin. Okay. Now that's not for everyone. Some people like a little bit more sturdy of a fabric and they want more durability They plan on wearing it multiple times a week. If you're doing that, then you shouldn't probably be buying that kind of fabric that is intended for less wear, where you're only wearing it once or twice a month. Yeah. So the higher the price point typically is that you have multiple suits because they're not intended to be worn on a regular basis. Right. So depending on what your current financial setup is and how many times you're wearing a suit should really dictate where you're buying and what kind of cloth you're buying yeah where where I fall is kind of in between those worlds that I'm above a lot of the ready to wears and yeah. then I'm below some of the biggest brands like the brioni and ketons and tom Fords um so I price myself in a place where if I'm in a range of there's ready to wear priced at the same as mine, then why are people what's the difference between custom and ready to wear sure so I realized early on that. Although it's harder to get in front of that clientele and build that credibility, it makes sense if you're using those quality fabrics that it has to be priced more. Yeah. Now, at the same time, I have to run a business. So if I'm to say strictly that my business is because of cloth and manufacturing, well, no, there's overhead and there's a lifestyle and there's a cost to run the business. Yeah, sure. Um, And in order to build that credibility, pricing is very big. Yeah. So... If you price too low, it actually devalues your business model and brand. Yeah, sure. That makes sense. So it, it was it was something that I learned a long time ago because I, I didn't start at the prices that I am today. Yeah, And over time, I increased it. And then as I started to realize that we started to increase the craftsmanship, the quality, the fabric offerings, and everything that we were doing to uh, uh, complement the business from the experiences, the journeys, all the other things that come with the suits we started to realize that, okay, at this price point, we haven't done ourselves justice. Yeah. Um, and when we started to do this market research, we started realizing, okay, we actually should be priced here. And at the same time, we don't need to price ourselves in a space that within fashion, you can get away with that. And you can charge a price that it's like, it is art. You're taking a 2D form of fabric and creating into a 3D piece of you know, art that fits on a body now depending on the clientele that you're wanting you can cater to that but i've never been really about chasing money and Mm. building something that isn't attainable or at a point where i feel kind of like i'm taking advantage of people sure so i learned i was i was not doing something good for me at the beginning but that was how i built the credibility within my own self to build the confidence that i could charge a price then as I started to build the credibility within the client that came back, then I was like, okay, I'm fairly priced. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
1: there's two things I can tell you about every single successful entrepreneur I've ever met that are always a, 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 a constant. Number one, I've never, I maybe mean, they exist out there, but I've never met a successful entrepreneur who became successful overnight. Yes. No, they no all had to I. make a lot of mistakes yes. to get to where they've been. And number two, I've never met a successful entrepreneur who was driven by money. Yeah, and, and most uh, of the wealthy awesome. people I know, um, myself included, I guess you could say, have uh, like they haven't been driven by money. Now, they, you know, I'm sure there's lots of success, uh, very passionate people who are really great at their craft, who don't make a lot of money. I mean, I'll think about even my own mother-in-law. She was like considered to be one of the apparently one of the best kindergarten teachers in the uh, in the in the Capital Regional District. She, yes. she, when she retired, people were like, "But well, this 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 woman was like phenomenal." She was a school teacher, so she yes. didn't get paid very much. So you know, so, fortunately, some of us get to choose a uh, sort of a career path that, if we're good at what we do, we also get paid get paid well. But uh, let, let's talk about maybe if we can about two, three types of cut, uh, of, of suit buyers. Yes. So let's talk about my own journey. Yes. Okay, so maybe you could speak to some of the things that you would recommend to a, a young guy, and we'll talk on, about women in a minute. But a young man coming out of university. Maybe he lands his first job making bingo <laughs> Ross, <laughs> so we're talking about Ross um you know making forty to sixty seventy thousand dollars a year in income, yes. has probably student loan, you know, maybe you know rented apartment,s so not a lot of money to spend, but wants to make sure he shows up to work looking sharp um who should he maybe? Where, what kind of suits should he be buying? Like, where should he maybe be maybe going? How much money should he be spending? How many suits should he be buying? You know, is he better off if his budget is, you know, I don't even what the budget would be. Maybe Ross can coin in here, but, you know. Let's let's say under $1,000. Okay. Yeah. So should he go out and try and buy three $300 suits or Two $500 suits or one $1,000 suit. So maybe let's start with that and then we'll talk about the other two, kind of like the the sort of more experienced uh, executive type person who's maybe making north of uh, $100,000 and then someone who's really hitting out of the park and making a half million more and for sure it doesn't really budget's not as much of an issue so let's start with the first
2: and and like for someone that wears a suit every day at work right because if you only need it once in a while it would make sense to buy one more expensive suit so yeah Yeah, i'm not talking about
1: the guy who needs to show up to a wedding once a year and wear a suit talking about someone who needs to wear a suit to go to work yeah
2: so i i think um you know when i came out of university looking at my own story um i would do things a lot differently because i was you know, supporting companies that were doing fast fashion. And it allowed me to get trendy suits that aesthetically were pleasing. Um, And this is before I was in finance, but it was uh, aesthetically pleasing. But the quality of the suit and the quality of the fabric, the labor that they use to do this, there's a lot of repercussions of supporting those kind of brands. Now, it allows you the means to get access to more stuff that looks good, but then... Do you want to be supporting those kind of brands? That there is a lot of collateral damage. Oh yeah, I saw that documentary. Where I forget what it was called, but it was about the fast fashion. Oh, I think it was
1: called fast fashion. Did yes,
2: and and it's like it when you uh, you see it and the the amount of returns and the fact that they don't justify putting it back on the shelves because it's actually a loss of money to get. Yeah, they burn it. They burn it. They burn no, they, it. Yeah, or they just leave they, it in dumps. So we we yeah, have they were to showing be,
1: this in this. You gotta if you haven't seen this. Uh, this, this documentary is unbelievable. It, it, yes, I, I've seen you've it. You've seen it, i We should try and find it, Ross. Is it was,
2: it, it's not the true cost, is it? I don't No, I don't okay. think so. Okay. Oh, I, maybe is that it? is. And, but there's a few of them. So it, yeah. it's, it's very, you have to be mindful of this now. Yeah. And I think um, what I alluded to earlier was there are so many deals out there online now because okay. the nature of retail, it's so challenging that people are, are caving to discounts to compete and it's about volume and getting stuff and they have crazy margins already built in. So if you're able to find something, the biggest thing is like, you can get amazing craftsmanship for suits for 400, 500, $700. The biggest thing is it's like, and what most people don't do is go to a tailor to pay a hundred, two hundred $200 to get the alterations needed. Okay. Now that in itself is the biggest thing that when you look at your budget, if I had a thousand dollars, I would get two suits, and I would probably go with uh, a medium gray or a charcoal, okay. and then a navy blue suit. And what okay. I would know right away is that I could wear the na- I can wear the suits as a two-piece uh, together with the both jacket and pants. But then I know I can swap over the jackets and pants, and vice versa, to create four outfits right away. Oh wow! Now, okay, so let's just repeat that. Smart. So that's that's yeah. so so it, uh, a navy. So you blue. would wear the, a navy blue suit navy or, blue. or navy blue, it, depending on the environment that you're in. But let's say we're talking finance. Um, it would be more on the navy or like a royal blue suit. So it's year round. Yeah. Um, it, you should definitely be mindful of the weight of the fabric. So any for year round fabrics is 250 grams to 300. Okay. Anything less than 250 is tends to be spring summer. Anything okay. north of 300 is more winter. So what's an all season suit? 250 to 300. Okay. That's so a, that's that's a good kind of range where in any element you should be fine. Okay. And both of those color palettes allow flexibility. Yeah. Now if you wear the navy jacket with the gray slacks, that creates another outfit. You wear the navy slacks with the the gray suit that's another outfit now if you wow. made three pieces of each of them you can swap them in various ways so there's ways to really three piece, get, like to have the vest yeah so the yeah. vest can go with the, the a gray vest can go with navy pants and jacket and then the blue can do the opposite so you can switch things many ways with just two three-piece outfits wow. you can switch things in two different outfits but it's the shirts and the accessories and really two pairs of shoes will allow so many options within and versatility within the wardrobe that the likelihood that someone within your environment knows that you're wearing basically the same thing is is very slim. Awesome. So That's good advice. There's been startup companies where people were like starting like exchanging tie services and because people are on tight budgets when they're coming out of school debts and trying to be like, how do we not get called out? and it's like but being smart um but i think with the world of sales and retail where it's at people can really exploit it and take it for what it is that there's great craftsmanship and quality that at such a reduced rate and if you spend the time and then whatever you do save the remaining should all be spent on tailoring on tailoring yes gotcha because any good seamstress will be able to make the necessary changes and with your input and what they say, you can w- create something that maybe, whether within the price point um, uh, of whatever you're working with, to make it look like it's a far more expensive suit okay. because it's it's actually fitted and customized to your current shape at that time. And
1: what should tailoring cost for something like that?
2: You're looking at if it's if it requires a lot of uh, tweaks. You're looking with a good tailor. It's like north of two hundred. Okay. If you're actually only minor tweaks here and there, you're looking at seventy-five to a hundred dollars. So it's such a worthwhile investment when you actually yeah. amortize it across how many years you're yeah. going to try to wear this. Yeah, sure. And if you can wear something a year and a half and wear it daily, and you're like, well, it's for it costs a hundred and you know fifty dollars, it's worth it. Yeah. Um, but a lot of people just um, and and sometimes when you're buying from retail shops, it's a part of the costs in-house that they will do it so i would say that is probably the best thing for on a tighter budget is search for deals and go to a tailor and get that done
1: Now you talked about online i mean i'm from a different era that when i was ross's age yes that there they didn't have online anything virtually i had an email um so do, do a lot of young guys buy suits online without even, I know like there's that Indochino kind of company. Yeah, you know I mean?
2: Indochino a local company and they've done really great and uh, they cater to a very niche clientele and demographic and it's, uh, um, I, I've met Drew, he's a great guy and um, I know a lot of people that have gone that route and I, I think for people that are entering the space, um, have a particular budget. What are it, they, what other their price points do you happen to know? Um. I believe they're in the... I can actually speak to that. Have like oh, you bought their Yeah, uh, I actually haven't, but yeah. Will has, um, and I've looked into it. It's like, you can get them on sale for like 300 bucks. Okay. That's the lowest you'll find them, up to a grand. It's, that's, that's the most common range that you'll find them okay, at. Okay,
1: so that's kind of the price range you were talking about. If you weren't using Indochino and you wanted to go somewhere where you talk to a real person and try yeah. it on the suits in person, where would this, what kind of stores would you go to
2: probably? Well, um, across the border there's a company called Suit Supply so right now we don't have a company called Suit Supply in Vancouver um, but their online platform is great Um, they are like the Ikea of suits so it's uh, suits custom made suits no sir what are they called uh, Suit Supply oh Suit Supply okay yes and uh, they were uh, an online platform and then they created these retail shops but they use Italian fabric so they use Vitali Barbaris they are very trendy and current to the common themes um, and trends within the market. They do very good job on the marketing and within their um, showcases and showrooms. There's stores in Toronto, New York, LA, various cities within North America. We just haven't had one here yet. Yeah, But their online is very well. Um, now, I think Harry Rosen, Holt Renfrew, Nordstrom's, there's options. Um, yeah. Hudson Bay, like there's. A lot of options that people have access to to still get that in person if they're looking for a ready-to-wear or um, a, a made-to-measure kind of experience. Less than fifteen hundred. So let's talk
1: about going to that next category. Yes. So let's say now you're now Ross has uh, been working for five years. He just recently got married. He's making you know one hundred thousand dollars a year, yes. one hundred and twenty thousand dollars a year. What price point would a guy like Ross of the future? be looking for at that point where should he shop what kind of things what's the he's gone past his two two suits yes. uh he's going to have a bit of a bigger wardrobe what's the kind of things he should be
2: looking for um yeah I, I think it, once it comes once again it's like everyone um has a different goal when they're purchasing a suit i think that's like how do you prioritize that i have people that i know that are making north of 500,000 a year that will never be a client to mine cuz they just don't deem you know purchasing a suit to justify the price that they will pay they're like i can buy happily a ready to wear it's just no and right. i'm okay with that yeah um so i think when you look at you know when you're making north of 100 after taxes and then paying for lifestyle you got to still be mindful to not allocate too much to clothing because it does eat up a large budget yeah so i i think really um you have to be mindful of always searching for like the best bang for your buck and finding still deals until you're at a place where I think the majority of my clientele, uh, like I have three kind of categories of clientele where you have a corporate professional, you have a lifestyle where it's more executive entrepreneurs that aren't really needing the day to day, but it's more like sport coats or they're attending event or cocktail suits or top coats. They're just needing it for the sake of wanting clothes. Sure. And then we have the wedding market, which is like recession proof, people that may never be clients again but they're needing a suit for their special day yeah and they can't find something that they're needing for their size so they're like customs the only brute there is the the chance of them from a retention standpoint is on a smaller level yeah whereas both the corporate and like a uh, lifestyle clientele there's a high probability that they can become re- reoccurring clients yeah so when is we it, look at I that mean, client for, for wedding business like, yes. i
1: i uh, when we when we got married, it was summertime, so we didn't, I wore a suit, but I had all my my groomsmen. Actually, we just bought them Lacoste polar shirts. Of course. Yes. Um, but uh, do, is the rental suit market still big, or do are there more are there more because there's a lot of these low cost, uh, like a, like an Indochino, like more lower price point, you know, uh, really easy to to sort of transact with kind of companies are more, more men now when they're getting married, buying suits. Totally. And,
2: And especially because it's like, if you look at say a groom party, um, a lot of groomsmen are willing to go half or pay themselves if they're going to get a navy blue or gray suit to be a groomsman. Right on. And then when you're paying, um, as, as Ross was saying, let's say between 300 to $800 or $1,000 and they get a suit out of that. Yeah. And um, you build it's camaraderie, an in a sense, it's an yeah. experience, you go together. Yeah. It's fun when you're paying a few hundred dollars for a rental, anyways. Yeah, and exactly. Then that suit's not fitted for you. It's not like you're going to be wearing that after. So, from an investment standpoint it's actually better to go that route um, i heard a
1: wise saying years ago which is that the wedding industry is, is i mean it, it's it should be the opposite women should actually rent their wedding dresses and men should buy their suits but it's the other way around men t- traditionally at least had rented Yeah, the no suit.
2: that's actually a very very smart thing it's going to start a wedding rental business for yeah. the bride's dresses <laughs> yeah <exactly. laughs> there you go
1: well, let's talk about your brand again. Let's yes. go back to that. Um, you know, I've talked. I'm, I want to. I want to talk to you about uh, getting a suit for myself. So, walk me through that experience of uh, selecting the fabric and like, like what what is it go? What is it like to get a semi bespoke suit from
2: Jason Sarai? Well, when I first started the business, um, I, I wasn't afforded the opportunity to actually have an office. Like, I was running another business, and then I was like to have another office space. I wasn't justifying uh, the cost of having an office space because I wasn't making enough money. And and I always separated my two businesses at the time that I didn't want the overflow from one to go into this passion project on style. So when I first started, you know, the experience of building suits wasn't to the level that I was wanting. We were going into shared spaces and I was like, okay, at some point, I need to make the investment. So in 2015 I got my first office in Gastown. It was in the Dominion building and for the last four plus years I've still been in there. And when we started this when 2015 we were in 110 square feet and it's when you're only having two people, max four people, you don't need much space because we don't have anything that's already made. We're creating something that doesn't exist. Right. So there is no instant gratification. It's like we have to look at a fabric and create something and bring it to life. And what a lot of the competition in the tailor space, and especially there's a lot of traveling tailors and trunk shows, is that they are accommodating to their clients' schedules and their needs by going to their offices. And at the end of the day, we have to be artistic and creative when we're doing this. And In order to do that you can't be in a space where you're extremely comfortable and in in your workspace you're connected to your work you're thinking about okay is there any emails coming in when is this ending yeah when is this person leaving so that never sat well with me that you know that kind of feeling and inability to uh, maximize the creative opportunity is limited by being there so I was like I need an office so in 2017 i moved into a bigger space and that was 200 square feet and i was like oh this is like a big jump and uh this space really spoke to like the brand and we curated a, a space that made people feel that they were in this rustic kind of old world environment one the dominion building was made in 1906 and at that time it was the tallest building in the british empire um, and there's so much history really? when you look at I had you know, no North of 100 plus years. And um, when we were originally actually to tie, uh, on the fifth floor, I had a historian client come in and he was like, do you know the history of this floor? And I was like, I actually know. <laughs> and he's like, <laughs> facing north on this floor was where all the news of the Second World War came and they took the propaganda and filtered it down to provide the news locally. And I was like, "Holy cow, that's amazing that that you know wow. happened." And I was like, "Do you know what happened in my office?" He's like, "No, I don't know what happened in this particular one, but when we moved to twenty, uh, the second floor, and in this two hundred square feet, we we shifted it so that ninety nine percent of our client meetings all happened at our office." And, and you have a picture of this on your website, don't you? Yes, somewhere? yes, yeah. and. What was nice about that was what we felt was as busy as our clients are, and um, my clients do live very busy lives with their businesses, with their travel, with their family, with their social lives, Um, In meeting them two, four, six, or ten times a year, they have enough time to come in and actually converse, have a drink, and that's kind of the experience. So if you were to come in, how it works is, We already kind of had communication. It was like what time of day we typically aren't meeting clients ever before noon. It's usually 2 p.m. and after. And at that point, it's like it's a different time. It's like usually the work's already done. And if a client does entertain a cocktail, then we'll make, whether it's an old-fashioned or a Negroni or grab a bottle of wine that they typically prefer or we'll have an espresso So we wanna slow things down and actually engage in conversation because a lot of it is about catching up and unwinding before we get into the creative side. Yeah, And we already have a general idea. I do a lot of research on clients. If I'm not to know them from the past, I do a massive amount of research on LinkedIn, their social platforms, their websites. And it's pretty hard pressed Like within my network or community community to not have some overlap with someone that's reaching out so in five years i haven't reached out to a single person for a suit so it's it's been a slow grind but i if in order to at this price point to go and ask someone for a suit if they don't want it it becomes awkward yeah and then it becomes a little bit salesy So, Do you you
1: have the picture here, Ross?
2: Yes. Is this 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 your current? Yes. And uh, a lot has changed in this office. So this was like at the early part of 2017, or this was summer of 2017, and we've added a lot more within this office. Um, But what we did was it's nice the, little le- leather
1: chairs and the wood
2: the wood floor and the
1: lighting it looks, looks thank you and yeah. we
2: customized the uh, so we got a bespoke furniture the the chairs uh, the artwork uh, was done by an artist named Sam Shooter out of Toronto so it was like uh, um, uh, her dad was in the textile business so she was always surrounded by suits so I would always wanted to surround that. I'm an ambassador with Remy Martin. So they provided a lot of uh, cognacs and different uh, liquors to complement the experience. So we started to just continue to add. And then all of the photos were also experienced in collaborations we've done. So we have a photo of being at the Pagani factory in Modena, Italy. We did a collaboration with Aston Martin. We did a photo shoot there. So all of the stuff had a story and tied into the lifestyle brand we're trying to create. But what we found was clients actually really enjoyed the process of when they started to go through the design. So many people came in and they're like, oh, Jay, like, you're you're the specialist in the space, just tell us. And we're like, no, that's actually, you're wearing this and we get to design this together. We're like co-designing this. Yeah. Now, if we're gravitating way beyond what's going to be functional or within your comfort level, then I'm able to like rein you in and guide you in a direction that is along the lines that you're going to actually wear it. Yeah. And then what happens is we start seeing this inner artist come out, and I, I truly believe everyone's artistic. Yeah. Now they start gravitating to different textures and designs and linings, and these elements of their personality start to come out. And that's, we're very blessed with the clientele that we have and they've clearly have done well in their life or we're, you know, supporting them on their biggest day with their wedding.
0: Yeah, sure. So
2: for us, if we're able to increase their strength and confidence in what they're already doing well, that's a huge impact that we're able to have. So it is a big responsibility too. Yeah. So for us, it's like if there's that element of connection missing, that's the biggest determining factor and then when that comes together, once with the process is, we would select a fabric that's the biggest one. Once we've done that now, we choose a lining. And this is a fun part because no one really sees, like I haven't seen your lining yeah, yet. Yeah,
1: I know it's the standard, you know.
2: And then what, what's funny is a lot of our clients that you would never think would be bold with their lining are quite bold <laughs> and they have these personalities that not everyone gets to see in the corporate world. And they're like, actually, you know what, I want to... I want I want skulls in there, or I want hockey players, or I want oh. animals, or I've had a client and you know he was like I want uh, Iron Maiden in there, and I was like, like he's like I want Eddie in there, and he sent me a photo and we customized it, put it in. You'll never see it, but he opens it up. It's a I bunch saw a of picture Eddies. of
1: Drake. Uh, I think it was a
2: year ago or two ago that he's he had got the a- Raptors. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> that you- was cool and it's cool like we got our lung- youngest client just a few weeks ago and he's making his high school grad, uh, his grade 7 graduation suit so this is our youngest <laughs> client and his uh, he's an
1: up, up and coming Jason Sarai yeah, and, and a- I
2: was again he's a great basketball player and uh, his, his his dad is a great client and fr- uh, family friend growing up and his wife's a soon to be client and they're just great people Yeah, and it was amazing to see how he gravitated for his you know his uh, grade 7 suit and uh, we were doing a basketball lining of his favorite player and his shoes, but it was, it spoke to his personality. Um, so it's fun. And what, what we do is after we've gone through both the fabric, the lining, then we go through the design and we speak to like, okay, how do we get the most wear out of this that's applicable to your environment? And then what is currently in your wardrobe to figure out is like, okay, now that will actually piece together so that there's versatility once we've done that if it's a new client we then do the measurements. Okay. So after all the measurements we're looking at various components and like I said we do north of 30 measurements then there's some proportion things that we do that I think are critical that a lot of people don't do in the industry and following that we then send an invoice and uh it's 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 a uh, it's a fun thing because you know, we, we're educated to get instantly gratified in so many things now. So to buy something and to, you know, have that expectation, it's a, it's a fun experience. It
1: is. Yeah. I can imagine. And
2: now what we're seeing is our clients are really looking forward to it, but then to see how they feel when they put it on. And when we start saying, it's like, no, this isn't, you know, yes, it's, it's close, but no, there's little tweaks that we're doing to get it truly customized to you because everyone regardless if there's a twin to you same body shape slope of shoulders they may want to wear the suit different than how you wear it yeah and that's where you should be in the driver's seat of what you want created and how you want it to fit yeah and i think too much in the bespoke world is we tend to bestow our opinions on something at a detriment it shouldn't be that there should be a little give and I think that's where we kind of found the fine line is that I'm not a bespoke tailor I'm not like a true like couture designer so I'm not I'm willing to let go of my ego to being like if this ultimately makes you feel strong and confident should I really be trying to force you out of that element maybe it's down the road that we start to naturally gravitate so that you get out of that current state to being like okay I'm willing to entertain this and I think that's why there is no cookie cutter approach to every single client, and it is who you are today when you order a suit to when you do another one six months. You may be very different, or in a different mind state, or you know, different size that we need to do something, or it's a different event. So that's kind of the fun thing that every consult's different.
1: Yeah, wow, that's really interesting. Since we have your site up, just to like make sure that uh, everybody knows. So your your Instagram handle is. At Style by Sarai. At Style by Sarai. you want to spell that out
2: for everybody? Yes. Style, uh, style, S-T-Y-L-E-B-Y, and then my last name, Sarai, S-A-R-A-I. Okay. And that's for uh, all the platforms from Facebook's uh, company page um, to my website, stylebysarai.com. Yeah. And everything's, uh, what's nice is like, it's just by appointment only. And what we want to do is we know that we are catering to a very small niche clientele, but we want the underlying message of the business to be for everyone that it's, it's about making you feel strong and confident in your own style to be the best version of yourself. And it's like to become your own style icon. And that's been our mantra and our tagline from day one is everyone has the ability to be iconic and we control that outcome and we don't have to look at a mannequin or a celebrity to be that it's like we ourselves can be iconic we just need to wear things that allow us to put our, our best foot forwards and I think that's like uh, the biggest takeaway is that it doesn't have to be with our brand it can be with any brand and I am okay with people wearing multiple brands and being my clients it's like I don't need the entire market
0: Yeah,
1: Um, that's pretty cool, Jason. And I remember that when we met uh, a number of years ago, I I thought it was I was really impressed by that. You you really have this uh, holistic view of this, um, and it doesn't surprise me you're having the success you're having because of that. No, thank you. Before we end this, I gotta hear about your your I mean you, you, you call them parties? What do you you're soirees. Soarees. So like, you know, very, we very like, sophisticated. Yeah, no, we, but they I've seen some pictures. You look like uh, you have a you had a birthday party and it looks like yeah. you had a lot of fun there.
2: Well I like I've been throwing my birthday party from thirty, I'm thirty eight now and um when I first threw it, I was like, oh, is anyone going to show up? I was, like, pacing outside, and I was like, okay, I'm 30, grow up. And I went up, and there was, like, a <laughs> decent turnout. And You've uh,
1: hosted a big party every year for your every birthday? Every year
2: since. And it was, I, I had lost a friend when I was 29, and um, at his passing, and his morning, we met someone, and they were just talking about birthday, and someone was talking about, was like, I'm not going to celebrate it. And he's like, no, a birthday is about a celebration of life and friendship and it kind of changed my context of what a birthday party was and uh, my birthday is on December 29th so it's a horrible time of year to ever bring people together and in university you have no money after (laughs) Boxing Day and Christmas so you're saving everything you have for New Year's then it was like on the 29th because I always like throwing uh, parties or get-togethers and knew where to go, all my friends would call me on my birthday, not say happy birthday, and be like, what are we doing for New Year's? And I'm like, he-, he better say happy birthday. So when I was 30, after you know this happened to my friend, I was like, you know what? It is more about just celebrating friendship. And every year, half the people don't even know it's my birthday. <laughs> it's like, it's just grown into something where a lot of the times life's busy that we don't get a chance to see each other outside of that. Yeah, and it's been an amazing thing because a lot of my network come together and so many people are overlapping and befriending and that kind of evolved into like this these soirees that we started to throw to really complement the business. How so, many do you do a year probably? Anywhere I would say six to eight which uh-huh. is it's, that's a lot of effort and time yeah. and a lot of people just won't allocate the resources and effort to do them um, and it's, it's been, we look at the bespoke side and the suits as a byproduct of the lifestyle brand we're creating and these events and soirees, we're partnering with iconic brands that are world-renowned. Um, whether it's in the car industry or whether it's top chefs or watches, okay, um, liqueur companies, and we're bringing these worlds that celebrate craftsmanship and quality and luxury. And I think you know, like a word like luxury is has been butchered in the sense that everything's luxury now, but luxury isn't made in the masses, right? right. Like if you can buy a bag that's X amount, but then they're producing thirty thousand to go around the world then it's just a matter of you having that money to buy it. Is that really luxury? Is that exclusive? Yeah. And when you look at the I love work, that viewpoint, that's really and I think, spot on. Yeah. And I think VIP and exclusive doesn't exist. Like you're sending a mass email to anyone that's attending and there's more people in the VIP line than in the regular line. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, wait, that's not actually, I think this eliminates, you know, what our connection to it. So, so when, when is, out, of yeah. interesting, out of interest, yes. when is your next soiree? Um, we're doing one on uh, May 15th, and I just we just formalized our invite. And what we're doing is um, a soiree where we're hosting it at Hublot for uh, a cocktail component in uh, their private space. And then we're going to be going to a restaurant where we're buying out the restaurant. Um, we're working with a liquor company that we're going to get a branded component where you can put your logo or, or your initials on a bottle of like Remy XO. Um, so we factor in a price that it isn't you attend for free. Yeah, It's like, no, there's a price. And you can also justify the price. Our clientele are very mindful of like, is there value to this price? Yeah, But I think once you have charged a price, not all of our events are always priced out or ticketed. But then it's not like a restaurant's going to give it to me for free. They need to cover their overhead. And I think it creates this unique experience where it is truly exclusive, but then we create a network of like-minded people that come together. And in a a way, of course, there's an element, everyone's selling every day. And when you're naturally meeting people, this organic way of networking in a way where you're like, I'm not asking or caring about truly what you do, but... By chance, conversations come up about what you do, yeah, absolutely, and it may never be that you ever work with someone, but it may be like, you know what, shoot, we have a ton in common, like we're never doing work together, but we'll be friends, yeah, or right, let's go to or maybe couch. just this is what I love
1: about the podcast jason yes. i'm I'm meeting people who, in normal sort of day to day, I would never chat with them, yes, but I'm meeting the most fascinating people from fascinating you know part like lives. And you get to chat with them, and maybe whether it's in a podcast environment or one of your soirees, I mean, that's one of the things I love about my life, at least, yes. is, is getting to meet really interesting people. What Outside of your birthday parties, what's probably one of your favorite, like when you look back at the soirees that you have hosted, do you have any one in particular? like That took a lot of work, but man, that was a lot of fun.
2: You know, last year, uh, or two years ago, we had a summer rooftop soiree with Remy Martin, and uh, that was at a, a private venue of one of their friends and clients that provided his penthouse loft in downtown Um, and it was just off of pacific and no one had access to go to that place we didn't have access if it wasn't through remy but it was like this curated intimate exclusive event but you didn't feel like you were in vancouver and my thing is it's like i've never been a fan of like if you continue to complain about something it's like what are you doing about it So it's like, if you have a way to answer that and create it, then go do it. And I I get tired of hearing where people are like, oh, this in LA and this in New York. I was like, we have phenomenal business people, entrepreneurs, and people that do appreciate lifestyle. And we have so many beautiful things and access to, but it's where a young country and a young city that there's no reason why we can't. Curate and create things that don't exist anywhere else. That's the. Did you see a lot of Jason Sarai uh, clothes clothes yeah, floating around? That yeah, area? you know, like the Sarai bespoke <laughs> garment was there. And yeah. people, we in our dress code, we say just in good style. Yeah. And my sign off on emails is always in good style. Yeah. And some people message me, they're like, "What does that even mean?" <laughs> and I'm like, you know, what are you going to feel strong and confident in? Yeah. Like you, you have a general understanding, and. For some people that have never been to my event, I'll be like, okay, just jeans and a sport coat's good. Yeah, or you can give them the advice, a more yeah. formal event, I'm like, no, actually, this event we're hosting in November is going to be a tuxedo event. So whether it's a cocktail uh, jacket or a tuxedo, it's like, no, this is standard black tie. And it's like, but you can have some element of change. And we want to step up the game yeah. of style, but not just in the clothing, it's just decorum and your appreciation of whatever you're drinking. And even if you're a non-alcoholic, it's like, why not have a mocktail, but an amazing one?
0: Yeah, Like sure. It's
2: like, we don't need to drop down the experience just because we may be driving. Yeah. It's like, hey, you can have a mocktail, but it's curated by a mixologist. And then you're still having phenomenal food and you can enjoy the night and not worry about, it's like, oh, I'm not having drinks. I can't find it. It's like, no, yeah. you can easily have a great night. So we're trying to do things And not just limit it to big ones we're doing small intimate ones and the fun thing about style is that where there's there's endless options and it's not something that we continue have to repeat the same events it's like yeah we've done this now let's move on
1: yeah so i love the idea jason you know when i think back to i'm 40 almost 45 now and in my 20s and 30s you know if i wanted to go out for a good time you hit the nightclub you hit the bar um, but, you know, once you have kids and you get a little older, that's like, I'm, I'm not going to go down to a nightclub anymore. Yes. Um, so now I seem to be like uh, left with going to the, I call it, I call it uh, gala season yes, when yeah. there's all these fundraisers. And those yeah. are also fun, but they're quite different from what you're describing. So I can see a, a market niche uh, that you're filling for, for that for sure. How does someone get onto the
2: Jason Sarai Soiree invite list? It's, uh, it's, so that's the thing. It's uh, it's heavily clientele yeah. um or people that are very close within the network that i do business with or have befriended like because like i said there's some of my closest friends that just will never be clients yeah and um it depends on the overlap or um just because you're a client doesn't mean you get invited like we've hosted events at um L'Abattoir and they were serving steaks and we were partnering with the wine brand and it was like we have a say a a vegetarian that doesn't drink, it's like, okay, well we're partnering with brands and this is probably not the best fit because yeah. these companies also have expectations too. Yeah. Sure. So we're willing to curate it, but then if we're just taking care of what my expectations are and not being mindful of our partners, then it's like I think my clients are very understanding that they're busy, but I have to run a business. Yeah. Um, but it's like there is no real list. And I think uh, I've I've been approached by companies because, you know, I'm I'm super blessed of the clientele and the audience that I have that there is brands that are out there that are wanting access to this list of people that I have in my circles and I'm not willing to give that up. Because I think once I do, you lose all your your credibility. And then for what? And then there's some business models that, you know, people do that. They build up lists, they sell, they move on. Yeah. For me, it's like, you know I'm creating a brand that I'm hoping that this can be generational that it's like I'm trying to build a business that yeah if I was to sell it I can because it's well run yeah but I'm also thinking that this can be something that lasts beyond my lifetime so it's a great um, vision man no I appreciate that and it's like without a community and a strong support system you can't do that yeah so without the clients and my mentors and family and friends this brand doesn't exist so Yeah. yeah awesome yes so somebody wants to reach out to you they would just go to uh to
1: style by sarai
2: yes that's and, uh, or or just send you an email or yeah your, on your the website we yeah. have our lifestyle at style by sarai is like our contact for anything um yeah and then um or jason at style by sarai They'll for send email you a dm through yeah Instagram it's like it's like uh, yeah. uh it's nice because like i i do it my best to respond to everything but my colleague helps out now with that and um We've been very like responsive, whether it's something that can move forward or not. We always never just say, oh, this isn't you know something that works. It's like, well, where do you want to go? Here's what we suggest. Yeah. And, and we're always mindful that it's like, just because that person may not be a client right now, doesn't mean that they may not be a client in the future. Yeah. And it's like how you treat them. We've had some of our best referring clients be people that actually initially intended to be a client wasn't in looking for that or didn't have the budget for it yet they referred based on how they were treated yeah and i was like that's uh i know i would want that if i was to experience on the other side and i think that's kind of how we approach our business. Yeah. Well, it goes back to what I said about successful entrepreneurs yes. and having a passion for what you do. For sure. No, Jason, thank Stry, you so much.
1: Thanks for having me. coming on the show, and it's been great having you here. and no, I, I wish you all the best in, in your in your business. Thanks so much.
2: No, and likewise. And uh, watch. watching looking forward to watching more episodes of this.
1: Yeah, yeah. And well, I, Crystal and I are going to come down to your studio. I know she'll love to have a. Uh, an old-fashioned yes. and uh, we'll we'll definitely get something sorted out with a, a awesome. suit. I look forward Excited. to wearing a Sarai suit next time I'm on the show. Awesome. Okay, bud. Thanks. Thank you.